You guys ready for this to be done? <laughs> Revelation, that is. It's been a big book. Um, I'm glad we opened up Revelation. I know it's impacted me a great deal, our staff team a great deal. And I hope that in reading it, you have picked up on what the Lord has for you. And I've spoken to a lot of different people who have been happy that we walked through the book. But I hope as we get to the end, as we finish it up, you've got hope out of it, right? You, you've, you have a hope that's anchored deeper than when you first started reading it. Hope you have some clarity in life too. Not just hope, but clarity on what life is about, who you are, what it is about life that matters, what it is about life that does not matter. I really hope that some of the fog of life has kind of blown away. And lastly, man, I just hope you have some urgency. So much of the beginning stages of getting established in life are trying to figure out what life is about and what matters. I hope that you come out of this series with an urgency, not chaos, right? Not panic, not worry, not anxiety, urgency. I believe God has that for us. So we're going to do something that we almost never do. I've never done it, actually. We're going to do a recap. So there's a lot in Revelation, and we're going to talk about what are the things, like what we need to remember what we need to remember. We're not going to cover every single thing in Revelation. One of our hopes was that you will have a framework so as you read Revelation in the future, you will be better equipped to understand it and to apply it in life, and we fully believe that, and so we're excited about that. So we're not going to walk through everything, but we're going to walk through some things, and just we want that hope, we want that clarity, we want that urgency. And as we're listening to these, as we're, as we're walking through that, the question that has kind of clarified things for me is, hey, what's changed in your life? And not just in general. I think we can say that about any sermon series. But are there any plans in your life that you have reconsidered based on where the Lord has taken us together in Revelation? Are there any plans that have changed, that you've set aside or that you've embraced because it is a book about plans, isn't it? Has God's purposes rewritten your plans a little bit? I hope so. I hope there's some pressure there, good pressure. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to bookend Revelation. We're gonna, I'm going to read you the first three verses of Revelation, and then I'll read you the epilogue, which starts in verse 6 in chapter 22. We'll read that, and it kind of sets the tenor for what's in the book, and then we're just going to pop through seven things, right? Holy number. Seven things that we need to remember out of Revelation. Seven key takeaways. And I want you to listen to the bookends of Revelation because they're very similar. It's actually the same wording in certain areas. But it starts as a blessing. It's a benediction almost. Like, here's a blessing to you. Blessed are to those. And it ends that way too, but it's intermixed with warning. Like, it's not just blessing, it's a warning. Like, don't, don't imagine this is something that is just, you can understand it and enjoy it and embrace it or set it aside in your life. No, there's urgency here. The call for us is to hold on to this blessing. So I'm going to jump in. I will read the first part, 
Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then I'm going to turn to the very end and pick it up at chapter 22, verse 6, the epilogue of Revelation. Here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, that's you, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Here we go. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Chapter 22, verse 6. And he said to me, so this is the angel speaking, John's remembering what the angel said to him. These words are trustworthy and true, everything we've heard. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants, that's us, what must soon take place, the words of Christ. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am your fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. I'm just going to stop here for a minute. Even for the Apostle John, who has shown this vision, who has taken up, it seems, into the heavenlies and revealed this. Of all the people in this book who were tempted to idolatry, you would not think it's the Apostle John in the midst of this. He's told us this twice. He wants you to understand how easy it is for you to let something beautiful and powerful and even godly supplant God's role in your life. I mean, he's, he's, ready, he's, he's, in, he's in awe of this creature, and he wants to worship. But you, you, don't get, to, you get to worship one thing. You get to let your life orbit around one thing. Man, there's, there's wisdom in that. Moving on. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Everything that was spoken was spoken for now. And he said to me, let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. In other words, whatever convictions and commitments you've made, there you will be. Jesus speaks, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. And this whole thing is for you, guys. Let it, let it get your attention. And the spirit and the bride, that would be the church, say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. 
And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We receive this word as your gift to us, as you revealing yourself to us, Lord. For the purpose of a living relationship, we receive this word as true and as inspired by the Spirit of God and even embodied by the Spirit of God that it is living and active. And our ask this morning, Lord, is that we would receive this and it would change us forever. We commit this time to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay. Seven takeaways from the book of Revelation. We're just going to power through them. Why seven? Why not six? Why not ten? It's Revelation. Come on. It's seven, the number of fullness, the number of completion, plus we could be here all day. We don't do that. So the first thing that you need to understand from the book of Revelation, and this is a major theme, is that God is moving all of history to his glorious end. You might say, well, does that mean that life isn't random or that God is sovereign? Yeah, it means that, but it means much more than that. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is Psalm 115.3, I believe it is. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Well, now you know what he pleases to do. He's chosen to reveal to us the purpose for all of history, for, for redeeming a people so that we understand that life is not random. Even when life seems meaningless, if we will choose, this is the act of faith, if we will choose to trust him and give him our lives, then our personal histories are being moved forward by the Spirit of God to God's glorious end. Then this story is your story. But make no mistake, God is moving all of history towards his glorious end. We see it in all 66 books of the Bible, and we see it right now. It's important for us to know he's working right here. He's working in you. He's working with you. And in Christ, he's moving your personal history to his glorious end. Friends, I know there's people right now in this church and maybe even online that need to hear that that you've had such a hard time making sense of the events of your life and making sense of your history, so much so that you really don't even want your future anymore. God wants your future. That's all that matters. And he has a future for you. And he's moving all of history towards it. Very important. Key takeaway, one. Secondly, persecution is a normal part of everyone who chooses to live their life in Christ. 
persecution is normal. We've heard this in 2 Timothy, for all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will suffer or endure persecution. Friends, this is so true. So are you saying that life is always going to be full of pain and sorrow? No. But honestly, for some of you, it is. There doesn't seem to be any equity in that balance. I don't know how that works out. But I do know this. God knows how that works out. He never departs from you. He never leaves you. And persecution is a normal part of living life in Christ. Friends, we worship a crucified king. We'll talk a little bit more about what it means that he's king, king of kings, lord of lords. But you do understand his own words are, if you're going to line up behind me, you're going to walk the road I walked. Now, you're never going to save yourself, and I'm not telling you, you know, you're, go- you're going to forge your own righteousness or be your own sacrifice. I've done that for you. But what is good for the teacher is good for the student, right? So, friends, there is, here's what I can never do for you, and God forbid that I ever do it, that I ever make it seem like following Jesus is easy. It isn't. I can tell you that. It's not easy. It's difficult. It requires everything you have. And it requires a committed relationship with God and also with his people, which is called the church. You will not finish on your own. This is not to make anybody think, well, and I can't do it. Because it's, but it is true you can't do it. Jesus will get you to the finish line. That I can absolutely promise you. Everyone that has been placed in his hand, he will not lose. He doesn't lose track of those that he has given up his life for. Even so, you will endure persecution. So in the midst of holding on to him for everything we have, right? He's our salvation. He gives us what we need. But persecution is normal. Revelation 13.10. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Revelation 2, verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Friends, do not give in to temporary victory in this life. Do not think by avoiding loss and avoiding pain and by avoiding persecution, you're going to have a more joy-filled, satisfied life. If you're doing that at the expense of faith, I do it, you do it too. So revelation normalizes the experience of loss because of Jesus. That is not a good American religion, or Western religion for that matter. If you're looking for glory and you're looking for unending love, you've found it. If you're looking for an easy life, it's not here. Unless you say, well, it is an easy life because I'm loved by God. That is true. That is true. It's glorious. But persecution is normal. Number three, creation is in crisis. You see this, and I would extend that to culture. We saw this in Revelation chapter 6. There were seals, there were trumpets, there were bowls of wrath. So why is creation in crisis? Well, (laughs) to some degree, it's basically trying to shake you off and get you out. You have not been a good steward of this creation, friends. And it's not your friend anymore. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. It will give you thorns and thistles. 
and you will eat by the sweat of your brow, and relationships will be hard, and raising kids will be hard, and marriage is going to be hard, and work is going to be hard. But there's a bigger story than that. In the midst of this, trying to wrestle our lives away from God, he allows us to have what we want, and that brings its own passive wrath, our own passive judgment. But we see in Revelation chapter 6 is there's an opening of seals. There's this this plan that only the lamb can execute. He can only bring about. There's a world only that has blueprints for this beautiful new world that only he can build. You're never going to be able to build it, even though we desperately try to all the time. And in the midst of doing that, there's judgment. There's judgment in culture. There's judgment in creation. Um, and we see this. It's, it's, it's upheaval. So what are this? I mean, just a few of the ways we saw that in Revelation chapter 6. We're supposed to expect seasons of political instability and upheaval. Well, that never happens. That's weird. Um, we're supposed to expect social instability and upheaval. Get ready for Thanksgiving. You're supposed to expect economic instability and ecological instability, where the creation itself fights you. I mean, the West is having a drought that's like a thousand-year drought. Ida just wrecked shop from the Gulf all the way up to New England. The point in this is do not let these things discourage you from faithfulness. Know that God is the God of history and the God of your history. He's told you his business. This is part of what Revelation is. He's told you this business. You're his friends. You're not to panic. And you need to know that this is part of the end. Creation is in crisis. That's going to be coming in different waves throughout history. If, if the Lord tarries another 5,000 years, it's going to happen the whole time. If it's another week or another day, it's still going to happen. Multiple fulfillments of that. Number four, every moment matters. Now, this is my favorite one. I would be happy just to say this one, but I think we need to get to all of them. Every moment of your life matters. Why? Well, here's what we've learned, that every single person has judgment day on their calendar. It's coming. Well, I'm a Christian. It's coming. Well, I don't believe in God. It's coming, and you know it is, because there is no hope for real justice in this world unless God brings it. Are you going to bring it? Wouldn't it be weird if Judgment Day was turned around and God sat down and said, okay, I'm just going to ask you, hey, what did you, what did you guys do about the poor? Oh, well, I, I, mean, I, was, I was really confused, because why would you make a world where there's poor? Oh, that's why I put you there. What are you doing about broken relationships? Oh, I... I don't know, I was, I was just trying to get out of one, actually. Um, what are you doing about the nations because they're fighting each other? Man, we're so quick to put God on the docket, aren't we? Friends, he is creator, he's king, and we're going to be judged. And you want that. You don't want to live in a future where sin is present. Please tell me you believe that. You don't want to live in a, in a future where injustice is allowed to creep along. You don't want to live in that future. So you have to take ownership of this. 
Every single moment matters. Revelation 22, verses 12 through 13. Behold, I'm coming soon. I bring my recompense with me. In other words, I justly pay everyone for what they've earned. To repay the one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So, without pulling chapter and verse here, here's what we know. For Christians, friend, you are resurrected and you are judged towards reward. Well, I haven't earned that. No, you haven't, but Jesus has earned it for you. So that means your sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. That means his righteousness belongs to you. That means that your shame, your guilt is gone and put on him. And when your judgment before the great white throne at the end of history looks like you getting cheered on, looks like you getting rewarded for the simple acts of faith that you did. Who does that? God does that. And for those that do not belong to Jesus, they get just judgment, which Scripture calls hell, which feels like losing every piece of common grace that we have in this world. And that relational trauma between you and the Lord will become intense. Friend, every moment matters. The most simple act of faith and the weakest act of faith will be rewarded. I believe that. There's no part of your life, even the mundane parts, that don't matter. How you work, how you raise your kids, how you study. Are you doing it as though you're working unto the Lord, studying unto the Lord? How you use your time and your money? Every single moment matters. There's no such thing as a secular and a religious life. There's life. Every moment matters. I am convinced. I was just having a, a talk with a friend of mine this last week. You're actually going to hear from him. He's going to preach um, later. He pre- he's president of a seminary that I went to, and he's really a good guy. But we're... In the new heavens and the new earth, here's who you're not going to see. Him and me being like heralded up as great folk. You know who's going to be put on the platform in the new heavens and the new earth and we're all going to rejoice? People you've never heard of. People that probably died in the bottom of a pile of bodies somewhere in a place you've never been to for holding on to Jesus at every cost. They will be put on the platform. They will be rewarded, and we will celebrate that, and we will glorify God in heaven because of that faith. Because they belong to no one but Jesus. Don't you think that matters to him? You do too. We all do. So let every moment in your life matter. Live it in faith. Most places in this world, the cost of following Jesus is extreme. It is. I've seen it myself. A few times I've been to India. People lose, what do you mean? People lose family members. People lose jobs. People lose their place in their community. I mean, that actually happens here. And if we're just to talk about Afghan, because they're in the news, Afghanistan, if you're going to follow Jesus in Afghanistan, you're going to lose deeply probably family members, and you could lose your life. If you're going to follow Jesus as an Afghan, you're probably in America. Probably the same thing. You might be 
divorced from your community. Hey, that happens in different social sects in our country. That's why the church is a family. It sweeps up God's people. So every moment matters. Number five, Jesus is Lord. Revelation 1, verse 17, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. We know that Jesus is making all things new. We know that Jesus has overcome death. And I feel like it's just a theology lesson for you. Yes, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And that was to fulfill a prophecy that the king, creator king of the universe, comes off of his throne. He doesn't even ride into Jerusalem and take his rightful throne as the Messiah king, the redeemer of Israel. He comes in to be rejected and taken right back outside the city and say, nah, we're good. He didn't need to do that. There's no logical reason for him to do that other than the fact that Father, Son, Spirit conspire against you in grace to pull you to themselves, to give you the thing you don't want, which is them. So he comes in and he's rejected but he's Lord. Revelation makes that very clear. He's Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is on the seat of power right now. Every single thing that is coming forward is coming forward at his hand. You need to get a view of Jesus that makes you a little uncomfortable because he fashioned your life. He holds your molecules together. And he took on flesh. He wrote himself into the story of humanity so that he could take on your sin that you might be in perfect fellowship with him impartially now, perfectly in the world to come. Because the whole point you live is that you might know what it means to be known and loved by God and reflect that to all of creation. That's not going to happen outside of Jesus doing this. And he's done it. And he's king. He's king. Hebrews 13.8 says it really well. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And hold on to that. That is a power that you aren't ready for. And he exercises his power in love towards you and for you, and he's bringing you home, and nothing's going to get in the way of that. That, friends, should give you hope. That should give you clarity. That should give you some urgency in how you're going to live your life. It does for me. It just, I love that. And the question I ask myself is, well, is Jesus Lord of me? I believe he's Lord, and I can explain it 15 different ways. But is he Lord of my life when I'm by myself and alone? Is he Lord of my life when I'm in relationship with my wife? Is he Lord of my life when I work? Is he Lord of my life in my neighborhood? Is he Lord? Is he seen as holy and as Lord? Because Revelation makes that really clear. Number six, uh, we've kind of covered this, but it, it just needs to be said. Loss is your only path to victory. You know that you're going to die, right? I know that I'm going to die someday. But here's the, here's the terrible thing of death. It separates you from everything you've ever loved, doesn't it? Jesus overcomes that. There's no separation from him, even in death or especially through death. So 
the main, one of the main themes of Revelation is faithfulness of the saints through suffering. Because especially when this was written, the church was getting ready to just be destroyed by certain emperors, things of that nature. And it, it's a lot worse than what we have it. I'm just going to tell you that. Friends, if you exercise faith in the midst of loss and suffering, you are invincible. Invincible. This is how faith works. Right? You've heard these parables in Matthew, uh, like the man who found a, a field and it had treasure in it, so he covered it up really quick and then he sold everything he had so he could own that piece of dirt because that is going to make me rich forever. When you know that Jesus is your treasure and that when you're fully known and fully loved and nothing can harm that or do damage to that, it changes how you live. Instead of trying to live your life to win at your own, on your own terms, instead of accepting temporary victories, instead of embracing sin, instead of righteousness, man, you will embrace the Lord. You will be the one who sells everything to hold on to him because he's worth more than everything. So your path to personal victory is going to cost you. Not that you're going to earn it. Please don't hear that. You're not going to earn it. Jesus has earned it for you. But you know how my faith grows when I'm, really, when I'm willing to let it come at the cost of something else? That, that's, it, it actually produces joy and happiness. It really does. You're like, no, it doesn't sound good. I know it doesn't sound good. The gospel's completely backwards. What kind of king would give up his throne to save people that hate him? Zero. And you're going to follow him. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. But he's never going to give up on you. He's never going to leave you. He's going to walk you through the minefield to the very end, even when you think this isn't going to work. I don't know how I can endure this any longer. And because of that, it makes you invincible. Revelations 4.10, they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It's a strange picture of people redeemed taking these crowns that are a little too heavy for our heads. They don't belong to us. We didn't, they're not even ours. Jesus won these for us. We're like, they're yours. You can't lose. Even if you suffer, you can't lose. If you're living your life to avoid pain and suffering and any form of loss, and you think God's going to be your partner in that, check the cross. Right? He suffers for you. And in Christ, we will end up suffering circumstantially because people sin against us, because we're in a fallen world. And sometimes we sin too. Many times we do. And we bring our own harm on ourselves. But loss is how you get there, trusting Jesus in the midst of hard things. And lastly, and if this was not true, then none of this would matter at all. God wins. It's not, he's not saying, I've showed you the way to life, so go do it right. I've shown you a blueprint for a perfect world. Go get it done. I've shown you how life should be lived. Go earn it. Don't you dare come up before me and not have earned it. That's what every other worldview or religion says. God wins. He wins righteousness. He lives for you. He dies for you. Takes on your wrath. He ascends for you, smashing open the door to heaven and then pulling you through it and saying, I got some people you need to meet. Father, Son, Spirit. Oh yeah, we've been for you the whole time. 
Only God can do that. And only God the Son does it. Only God the Son does it. God wins. Friends, I will tell you this. You know, life has just been harder lately. But I can tell you this with, with a straight face. God's plan for your life is worth waiting for. Well, I don't know what that is. I don't either. But I do know this. It involves you giving him your entire life without negotiation. Don't waste your time negotiating. God wins. Okay? Give him your entire life. Revelation 7.10, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God is ending this age of rebellion against him, and we get in on it first. So end it. Trust him. Submit to him. Plan your life around his purposes, regardless of what you do, okay? Here's what I can tell you, and I've heard this before, and it shocks me every time. Yeah, but it's really true. God sees your faithfulness. Do you believe that? Well, I'm not very faithful. Okay. God sees what you've given up to follow him, and he loves you, and he appreciates it. Well, that doesn't sound very Christian, does it? I don't know. Have you read the Bible? God loves your faith, and he's calling you in, and he's calling you to do more and to hold on him tight, and he loves you more than you're ever going to understand. And the call that Revelation gives us to is stand firm. Buckle up. Because the future belongs to you. Isn't that crazy? God has given you the future. It's right here. It's right here. God gives you the future. His glory, your future. That, my friend, should give you hope. That kind of love is not just uncommon, it's divine. That should clear things up in your life, and that should give you an urgency like nothing else does. And if you're like, I don't know if I know Jesus, don't leave here today. I don't care if you have to tackle somebody. Say, I need to understand that. You can trust him right now. You can give him your life. Your sin is forgiven. His righteousness belongs to you, and you will have eternal life, which means you're reconciled to God in relationship, and that carries through all the way from death into eternity. The future is yours. Dear Lord, we thank you. We, we, just, we worship you. I know that every church in every age needs to hear this. And in your wisdom and in your graciousness, you've inspired this word for this church, Portico Church, Arlington, right here, right now, 2021. God, everything that we've needed to hear is right here. And I pray that we believe it, that we join it to faith. And we live for you, God. We don't waste a moment. We thank you for this. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.